This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. I am filling in for Pastor Ron this week. Uh, both uh, Pastor Ron and Paula are out of town, spending a few days relaxing, being with Jesus. And it's a good thing because uh, they deserve it. So in the meantime, our show will continue here at the Word to Stand On for Life. We will take your Bible questions Questions about uh, how to put the Word of God into practice in your life. Uh, questions about maybe something that you've read or maybe questions about church. Anything that we can do to help you uh, fall deeper in love with Jesus. That's why we're here. And so with that, let me give you the phone numbers and we'll get started with the show. 210-340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. 8776305757 that's the toll free number 8776305757 we have an email address at uh, questions at calvarysa.com you can use that if you want to submit questions and then we'll ask it on the air uh, we've also got our church app you can submit questions that way and you can also call in using the KSLR mobile app there's a call now button at the top and if you're in your car, it's so much easier. Just just click on that, and you don't have to mess with your phone. Uh, so Tuesday, th- that means that, well, here at Calvary Chapel, we really don't have much going on. Uh, no Bible studies that we have planned for tonight. So uh, let's get right into the questions. Um, one of the things I will mention, and it, I think I saw a question here on the list that's pertaining to uh, what, we taught last night, what I taught last night at the men's study, a wonderful study in Acts chapter 9, and it's not wonderful because I taught it, but the passage itself is it's so magnificent because it's the first thing we see in Saul of Tarsus's life, right after he gets saved, and, and he hits the ground running. I love that. This is even before he spends that time in the Arabian desert and a time in Tarsus where he has to be separate, uh, but he hits the ground running. Anyways, that was such an encouragement because our human nature, we're so conditioned to think that in order for Jesus to use us, we, we, we have to be um, qualified with some sort of formal training, with some type of you know, degree or, or, or you have to read the Bible, you know, 30 times. Not a bad thing. But even as a baby Christian, the Lord wants to use you. And so that's what we talked about last night. Like I said, one of the questions I think talks about um, being a witness for Jesus. And so I'll, I'll mention some thoughts there. First question is from Daniel. Daniel says, a mature Christian told me, Daniel, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. A question is, how do I know when I've become too heavenly minded? Um, Daniel, we actually get this question, not often, but once in a while, and because this is one of those cheesy Christian cliches that really is not Christian at all. And so I would say this is hogwash. That's, that, that's what it is. There's no such thing. In fact, the Bible teaches the opposite. 
So when you say, how do I know when I've become too heavenly minded? Daniel, that's what we're supposed to be. Colossians chapter 3, and Paul's writing to the church there, or the churches in Colossae. He's, he says this at the beginning of that wonderful chapter. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And he also says, set your hearts on things above. And the picture there is that the, the place of decision-making, where our minds are, and, and the place of, of uh, treasure and affection, which is our hearts, these things uh, are to be set on things above. That's Jesus. And so it's not just think about Jesus for a few minutes and then go on with the rest of your day, but we're supposed to set our hearts and set our minds on things above. Now, practically, what that means is this, that the, the, the rest of that chapter that describes this glorious life of, of, of a Christian who's walking with the Lord, their heart and their mind have to be set on things above, or else you're not going to be as usable as the Lord wants you to be here on earth. So, so the short answer to your question, Daniel, is this. You don't have to worry about being too heavenly-minded. We have to set our hearts and our minds on Jesus so that we can be a, an effective witness here on earth. Now, I'll, I want to elaborate just a little bit on this because this chapter where Paul is writing to the church, the churches in Colossae, he goes on to describe some of the beautiful characteristics of what it looks like when you set your minds on things above. You're kind, you're compassionate, you're, you're humble, you're gentle, you're patient, and you've got new clothing put on. And I would submit to you, Daniel, and you could even say this to your person who you call a mature Christian, they should know better. They should know better. You cannot live your life like this, the way chapter 3 of Colossians describes us, how we ought to be, without setting your minds on things above. Because then and only then can you actually love the people that Jesus has in front of you the way he does. So I, I would say that if you want to live like this, you've got to be so heavenly minded so that we can be used for Jesus' good here on earth. Daniel, I, I hope that helps. Let's go to our phone lines. We've got Jimmy from San Antonio. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor. How are you doing? Hi, Jimmy. I'm doing well. Yeah. I want to first of all say that uh, you're a good pastor. You're a man of honor and integrity. And uh, I'm never going to test you on the uh, scriptures. So. <laughs> you know you're too kind, Jimmy. <laughs> So no, that's just being honorable and a man of honor. But uh, I was going to tell you that, uh, you know, I saw a scripture this morning, you know, where two or more are gathered. And I've seen that scripture several times because, uh, you know, you were talking about being attacked. And we're being attacked more in these last days. And I've been, I've been attacked a lot at work. So, and I've had um, people pray for me and everything. But I know God is controlled his, um you know, I've seen different scriptures saying that evil can't harm me. You know, they'll, you know, it'll try to, to uh, attack us, but Jesus is stronger. That's right. A absolutely. Mm -hmm. And 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 Jimmy, I, I I don't know if that was your question or did, yeah. was that your actual? Yeah. Okay. Well, I just you know. I look for a lot of my Christian brothers and sisters to encourage me more. I know the Word of God encourages me, but you know, my heart is really broken. Mm. Well, I, I have a couple of encouraging words for you. And uh, uh, number one, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, Peter tells us in his first letter that, that we cannot be caught off guard. We can't be caught off guard because if we are, when the enemy attacks, and, and like you said, Jimmy, the enemy is relentless in his attacks. And so as Christians, we have to be so close to Jesus that we're closer to him than we are to our circumstances. That includes uh, people in your life. That includes life situations. It includes um, 
you know, everything, our work. The problem is, even real Christians, Christians that love the Lord, they, they, they let things into their life that drive a wedge in between them and Jesus. And, and what that does, Jimmy, is, is it opens the door for the enemy's attacks to cause damage. And so when we let things in our life catch us off guard, um, what'll happen is it'll just compound one after another, and all of a sudden our eyes are off of Jesus and we're focused on our circumstances. And let me tell you something, Jimmy. When we focus on our circumstances, we're toast. I mean, it's over. Discouragement comes like a black cloud and it never goes away. But when we're fixed on Jesus, just like I like the word picture you used, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And, and, and Jesus is that shield that we run into. And he's the one that protects us from the fiery darts. Um, and, and that's where we need to be. So when people or, or when spiritual attacks happen, uh, it's, it's discouraging if we focus on the attacks. I want to focus on Jesus and let him deal with those attacks. And, and here's the best part, Jimmy. When we do that, whether the attacks increase or decrease, it, it doesn't matter because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And in his presence is the fullness of joy. So when I'm with Jesus, I, I, I want to f- focus on him. And, and he's going to supply my every need, regardless of what's going on outside. And, and that's where he wants us to be, hidden in him. Um, you know, I can hear it in your voice, Jimmy, that, that the, the relentless attacks of the enemy, they, they take their toll on us when we focus on them. But I don't want you to be discouraged by them. Take your eyes off of what people say or what they do or what they don't say or what they don't do and, and turn them back to Jesus. And what he'll tell you, Jimmy, is this, that he loves you, that he's proud of you. You're the apple of his eye. He thinks about you day and night and his thoughts towards you are always good thoughts. And his, his love towards you, Jimmy, is not a performance-based love. We've got to get ourselves out of that, that mentality. It's not a performance-based love. His love for you is based on who he is. It's unconditional. Undeserving for sure. But still, Jimmy, that's how much he cares about you. And when you think about that, it really changes the way uh, you think about life. It changes your outlook. It changes the way you deal with circumstances. So I want you to be free from that, Jimmy. I hope that encourages you. Uh, thank you for your call. Um, I get to hear to your voice, my friend, and, and um, just be with Jesus. I want you to be encouraged. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you so much. Oh, Jimmy, did, did that help? Yes, it does. It does. I mean, okay. I've, I've been... Strengthen my 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 my, uh, you know, because I know the Lord says, yeah, "I'll fight your battles for you." And you know what? Here's here's another thing about that. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's true. But so many times, Jimmy, when we lay things at the foot of the cross, figuratively, or we, we say the battle belongs to the Lord. Go ahead, Jesus. Go ahead and take over this because I'm tired. But then as soon as we gain some strength back, we're like, okay, let me check back into the game here. I got it. And, and Jesus is saying, whoa, well, what are you doing? You know, when we say, Jesus, you can go ahead and take the driver's seat and drive the car. and But... We're, we're like that backseat driver that says, okay, you can go ahead and turn left here now. Go ahead and turn right here. And we're trying to control uh, our lives when Jesus is saying, I want you to submit your life to me. And when you do that, uh, that's the, the safest place we can be. So, yes, when you give all these things up to the Lord, you, you let it stay there with him. 
We do. Oh, oh and, awesome. And, I, and I, I love them very much. I love the Lord awesome. very much. And I love you, too. And your family. <laughs> You know what I love most about you, Jimmy? I love two things. I love your stories about Eddie and your old basketball days. They always Mm -hmm. make me laugh. And number two, you've got the best smile ever. Oh, thank you, sir. You too. Have a good day, Jimmy. You too. Thanks for the call. God bless. (laughs) Yeah. Jimmy is is a dear friend. I haven't seen him in a while because of the way things are these days, but uh, I recognize him every time I see him and every time I hear his voice. And by the way, he's also, I think he's retired Navy, or, but, but just like my dad is. Um, so anyways, Jimmy, thanks for the call. Let's go back to our questions. Let me give you the phone number one more time, 210 340 877-630-5757. That's a toll-free number. And then the email address, questions at calvarysa.com. Okay, the second question here is anonymous. Why was it okay for Jacob to sleep with four different women? I was reading Genesis 30 with my child when he asked me this question. I didn't know how to answer Oh, anonymous, great question. And, and, and I think the answer will also help you here. God never said that having multiple wives was okay. In fact, God tells us that the, the exact opposite. Remember from the very, very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, God says, I'll make him, the, talking about Adam, a helper, a singular helper, not multiple. I'll make him a helper, and he will leave his family to be joined with his wife. Not wives, but with his wife. Again, singular. And, and they will become one flesh. So from the very beginning, God said that it's one man to one woman, one husband to one wife. And, and Jacob sleeping with uh, four different women, and there are numerous examples, obviously, with Solomon and David uh, having multiple wives. But Jesus adds the exclamation point to confirm this, what God said in Genesis chapter 2, by quoting the exact same passage to the Pharisees. Remember, in Mark chapter 10, when, when the Pharisees are trying to engage Jesus in this debate about divorce. And, and then Jesus actually quotes Genesis chapter 2. But he adds some clarification to it, and I think this helps make the point. Jesus is, says that the two shall become one flesh. He emphasizes it's just two of them. And he says it again, so they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Okay, well, if God said that having multiple wives was not okay, that we're supposed to be one man to one wife, so why does the Bible mention that Jacob had four different women? Well, here's the answer. Because the Word of God is true. It's incredibly candid, and it's honest. And it's honest about the sinfulness of man. In fact, this is one of the compelling reasons to, to actually believe that the Bible is the Word of God because it doesn't hold back anything. It's complete, it's, it's, it's trustworthy, and if it were to be something written by man, it would make sense to write only good things about people. But that's not what the Bible does. It includes all the details of the sinfulness of man. Just read the book of Judges. Unspeakable things. Unspeakable things that our flesh is capable of doing. And, and, you know, Jacob and some of the other patriarchs were disobedient in this area of their life. 
what they did was uh, contradictory to what God said from the very beginning. Now, was God able to use them? Still sure. But that's the reason why. So next time you're reading Genesis 30 Anonymous to your child or some of the other passages where, where multiple wives comes up, you could just tell him. The Bible's very honest about the sinfulness of man and that Jesus is the answer to that sin. So, Anonymous, I hope that helps. Our next question is from James. I just realized that the the 12 sons of Jacob were the uh, 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, the, the question says 13, but I'm, I'm assuming they meant 12. If they tried to kill each other, why would God use them to start his people? Oh, this is actually a good question. So think about this, James. Uh, human reasoning says that this, we think this way. We start with the best ingredients to make the best tasting food. Right? That's common sense, but not in God's economy. God's glory, think about this, James, God's glory is magnified best by taking the, the lowly of the world and using them to confound the wise. That's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And, and then he goes on in that passage and he says, Brothers, think about what you were when you were first called. And so the idea there is Paul is saying to believers, look what the Lord has done. His glory is magnified when he takes those of us who were nothing and uses us for wonderful things. Peter, again, chapter 4 of the book of Acts, when he is confronting or being confronted by the religious leaders in Jerusalem, do you remember the conversation because they were telling him to stop. They were telling him, Pete, Peter and John, that they need to stop talking to people about Jesus. But then it says this, when they, this would be the religious leaders, they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That, by the way, is just our forever men's retreat verse, we always talk about being with Jesus. Well, the reason why God used the 12 sons of Jacob and as, as fleshly as they were is because God delights in using ordinary, unschooled, even rebellious and sinful men for his glory. I think that's the greatest demonstration of his sovereignty. He can take a, a stubborn, hard-hearted uh, knucklehead like me and, and use me for his glory to encourage other people. And I've got a couple minutes here left in the, in the first half of the program, so I want to elaborate on just, just, just a second here because I want to make this personal, James. That, that I used to think um, something along the lines of, well, you know, as a non-believer, well, you know what, as long as my good days outweigh my bad days at the end of my life, I think I'll be fine because, you know, there's other guys that are worse than me. There's a whole bunch of people in, in prison, and I'm sure they're worse than I am. And that's the way the world thinks. But God doesn't grade on a curve the entrance into heaven requires perfection. Now, how that ties in with this is because God delights in taking people with, with miserable, messed up lives, transforming them into trophies, not because of something that they've done, but because of who Jesus is. That's what he does. And that's how God is glorified. So that's what he did with the 12 sons of Jacob. Using these brothers 
who were conspiring against one another, conniving in all, but for his glory, he uses the weak and the lowly to confound the wise. I love that about the Lord because I know I should be dead. I think about everything that he's done and I just can't help but be grateful. So James, I I hope that helps. Well, you can hear the music. What that means is we're at the, the end of the first half of the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. Uh, We'll be back in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. This is the second half. My name is Pastor Ken. I'm filling in for Pastor Ron this week. Let me quickly give you the phone number. It's 210-340-9585. That's 210-340-9585-877-630-5757. That's the toll-free number. And if you want to submit an email, you can do so at questions at calvarysa.com. All right, let's go right back to our phone lines. And we've got Margaret from Floresville. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. I wanted to thank you for your words of encouragement. I didn't hear them uh, during the show yesterday, but I was listening to them last night. And um, I'm, I haven't given up on my son. I've given him to Jesus. But there are times where it feels like I, you know, I think the devil tells my heart, if you're not worried, you don't care. And so mm-hmm. your words last night mm-hmm. really helped. And oh, it helped thank my, you, uh, Margaret. You're welcome. And you're more than welcome. And it helped my... Uh, granddaughter's mom, too, because she's desperately searching and wanting to make sure she does the right thing, too, and when you're a believer, sometimes you think you're supposed to rush in, and you're not. Absolutely. That's right. uh, You know, it's good to hear those words from people we trust, and so when she told me to ask Pastor Ron about that last week, um, that tells me she trusts him, too. I I know Natalie does. So now she trusts you. But my question today is, Okay. I know that saved, always saved. I, I truly believe that. What if you're saved when you're a tiny kid or a little kid? And my son was saved when he was seven. I found prayer journals uh, and put them away. He was 12. And he was, um, you know, he was begging God to fix my ex-husband and my marriage that didn't happen but he Natalie found those prayer journals by the way and she copies his words but she she prays for her dad how did I mean did, did my son was he really not serious when he was little I felt God answer his prayers at times as a, as a little kid hmm. I know he believed in God is it just that he didn't really accept him is it possible well, to accept Jesus into your heart as a, as a little kid? It sure is. It sure is possible. Okay. It sure is. And so I have a couple of things here, Margaret, that I think will encourage you. Uh, what you describe is the same scenario for so many parents that, that we counsel with and so many parents that we deal with. And one of the things you can find comfort in, Margaret, is this, that... Uh, uh, God loves your son so much that he will not stop chasing him down. He, he is in the same way that, that we are running far away from him. 
Well, with the same way that Pastor Ron calls Jesus that, the hound of heaven, he's nonstop, constantly wooing us back to himself. Now, we have a choice. We have a choice to make. And, and when we choose to sin, we're choosing to go in the opposite direction from the Lord. But that doesn't mean the Lord stops. It means that he's still pursuing us. Till the moment when we get to the end of our rope. Now, specific to the point about children, uh, you know, the, the, the Word of God is very clear. You know, we're to raise our children in the Word of God, in the fear of the Lord. And the reason why we do that is because we want every opportunity for the Lord to speak to the children's hearts. And uh, whether or not the, the decision to give their lives to Jesus is genuine, well, that will show itself later on. Uh, when they stray away, if they come back, they prove that they were a believer all along. If not, well, then it's otherwise. But it doesn't change what we do, particularly as parents, Margaret. Uh, there's, there's no sense in, in, in wondering about the past. What we do is we treat people based on how they act today. And so if your son is acting like an unbeliever, well, then that's how you treat him. And you can remind him, look, remember, son, the things that you wrote, and look at some of the things that, 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 that came out of your mouth and some of the things you wrote down. The Lord was obviously speaking to you because the Lord deposits that into our hearts. And, 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 and at some point later on, uh, they reach the end of the rope, and Jesus is right there. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is one of my favorite passages, Margaret, and I want you to lean, really lean upon that passage. And verse 24 through, through I think it's through 30, but Paul the Apostle talks about uh, having to deal with difficult people. And he says, you know, we're not to argue with them. Uh, serving the Lord shouldn't quarrel. But then he goes on to say, you know what, we never know when uh, the veil will be lifted from their eyes and they'll escape the trap of the enemy. And so in the meantime, Margaret, as you have been doing, you continue to pray for your son. And you'll find out whether or not that profession of faith made as a young child was genuine or not, the Lord knows. And, and if he really is his, then he'll come back because he'll repent. But until that time comes, keep praying. And, and, and don't be so focused on what his, his, his actions are, uh, like what he's doing, but trust that the Lord is working in, in his life regardless of what you're seeing. And I, I think I mentioned this yesterday. Uh, oftentimes, Margaret, when we see people who are extremely frustrated, like having an extremely miserable time, well, that's usually an indication that the Lord is dealing with something difficult in their hearts. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So keep doing what you're doing. And we'll find out. We'll see. Uh, it, when your son reaches that place where he gets to the end of his rope and he cries out to the Lord. And, um, and, and then we'll know. Can you hear oh. Yes, I'm sorry, Mark. Go can ahead. Um, I haven't talked to my son in over a year. So I think what I'm just hoping is that if something happens, um, he was saved. I, I think it's just something that I'm grasping because I'm trying to stay out of the way, and I don't want him to cry out to me or my husband right. or anyone else. I want him to cry out to Jesus, so I've stayed away from him. And um, he doesn't want to get near me either. I, just, I think it's just something that I kind of grasp at. It's, it's a last straw that you know keeps me from really... But it's up to them. It's you know nobody can believe for it him. Is. Nobody can save for him. He has to remember that he wanted it and that he hopefully had it. But I think that you know I I wonder and I believe it's like my dad asked me one time, how can I be this way uh, if I'm saved? And it's like, Dad, if you have dementia, it doesn't mean you are not saved. It just means you're sick. And That's right. I. I sometimes you wonder know, if that's what drugs do to people. 
You know, Margaret, you bring up, so you bring up a point that's very personal to me. And, and, and regarding your dad, and, and this also pertains to your son, I, uh, by freeing him up, your son, and letting the Lord work on his hearts, it's the same way that Paul, writing to the church there in Corinth, says you, you need to hand them over to Satan. Not that you're wanting them to suffer uh, eternally, but what you're doing is you're letting them get to the end of the rope. So, because that's the fastest way to, to, for them to get to the point where they cry out to Jesus. It's painful. It's very difficult. And it, it hurts just to watch. But, but what you have to remember is that this is the most loving thing you can do for your son. Even if he doesn't think it's loving or whether or not it feels loving. Because your heart is right before the Lord and you want him to fall so deeply in love with Jesus, even more than before. And the only way that's going to happen is till he gets, when he gets to the end of that rope. And then Jesus will remind him of how much he loves him. And, and the second thing that's related to that is you mentioned about your dad, and this is what I mentioned. It was personal for me because, you know, you're, you're in Floresville, Margaret, and, and um, the only familiarity I have with Floresville is, is because of my dad. Uh, my dad is a veteran who stayed out at the veteran's home there in Floresville, and I, we used to go and visit him all the time, and it was a very, very difficult time, and he'd suffered a stroke, he'd never recovered, and for years, um, his mind wasn't, uh, his mental faculties weren't the same. And he used to come to church here with us. He used to sit here in church, and even with his uh, in his wheelchair, uh, he was so limited. And and his mind, I remember, I would see m- moments of lucidity where he would start to think, and then all of a sudden he'd be back to not making any sense. And it was hard for him, and it was hard for us. But one of the things that we saw, Margaret, was in that difficult time when he thought. The, that he couldn't hear from the Lord. It was hard for him to even make sense. It was hard for us to talk to him. I know, I knew that the Lord had his heart because he was in a place where he had nowhere else to go. And even if he couldn't articulate his thoughts with his mouth, and even if sometimes he would say things that didn't make any sense, it was in those rare moments when he would have uh, clarity, and it was as if he was uh, speaking directly to the Lord. And I knew that's when I knew well, the Lord's speaking to him in a way that we, we don't even understand here. And that's what happens, even when our body doesn't work the same as it used to. The Lord goes right to the heart, and He speaks to our hearts in a way that that goes beyond words. And I know that during that time, my dad would tell me things that he would never say before that, that, that can only come from a heart that loves the Lord. He was transformed. He was changed. And even as his uh, body started to decay, it was a, a beautiful thing to watch. So encourage your dad and tell him that God goes beyond you know, our bodies, our, our, our phys- physiological capabilities and our mental faculties. And when our body stops working the way it used to, it's okay. Jesus still speaks directly to our hearts. Okay. And that's what he's going to do for your son, too. I hope. I hope his November 30th is right around the corner. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I will be keeping him in prayer. Uh, please, please, please keep him, uh, uh, keep us updated. I know you call the show regularly, but uh, me personally, I, I know, like I, I said yesterday. Call- I-, I hope I'm calling you on December 1st. <laughs> well, you friend. do. Absolutely. We're adding him to the prayer list, and you, you, you call us the moment that happens. We'll rejoice with you. Okay, Margaret? Thank you, Pastor Ken. You're more than welcome. Thank you for the call. What a blessing. I... I, I don't want to repeat what I said yesterday, it's, uh, but it's th- those types of stories uh, solidified my faith, my per- personally, uh, because I was 
so convinced that I was going to die in the state that I was in. I was so far gone. I, I just remembered, and I was thinking about Margaret's story about her son. One of the things I did not mention yesterday is uh, something that was uh, uh, reminiscent of one of my lowest points in my life. And don't know why I remember this, but before I got saved, I remember being holed up in a room, just out of my mind, and not in the right place at all, but with a with a pencil and a notebook paper, uh, just writing down crazy thoughts. Not, not thoughts to harm myself, but thoughts that didn't make any sense. And in that stupor, I remember writing or th- writing a letter to God with a pencil and paper, just writing a letter to God, not saved, but crying out for help. And, and that's when I remember reaching this lowest point. I could only write it out on a piece of paper because I wouldn't dare show anybody that I was broken inside because on the outside I had this facade of trying to look like I had everything put together. And I'm sure everybody knew that my life was a mess. But in my mind, I was thinking that, no, 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 I'm still okay. But that night, with that pencil and that paper, writing that down, I remember I reached the end of my rope. I thought, I got nowhere else to go. So I'm praying, Margaret, for your November 30th, for your son's November 30th to come. Thank you again for that. Let me give you the phone numbers. 210 340 9585. 210 the question yesterday, how we are made in God's image, I've heard a pastor say that in God's trinity, that we are made like him in that sense, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are body, soul, and spirit. I, I, thought, I always thought soul and spirit are the same. Can you explain a little on this, please? Uh, yeah, this is an analogy that's often made, but it doesn't... It, it doesn't... Uh, completely uh, aligned with the way that the triune Godhead would, would, would um, at least in that analogy, it's not a good analogy. So, so the way we are made in God's image, like I said yesterday, is not by body, soul, and spirit, because soul and spirit can be the same. Sometimes the same word pneuma is used for both. Uh, and so that can be a little bit confusing. Though we are separate in body uh, and soul and spirit, the better definition of us being made in God's image is the, the free will choice that we have and the, the way that we are eternal beings and spending eternity somewhere, uh, whether it's in heaven with him or uh, in eternal separation from Jesus. Because those are the two characteristics that make us in uh, God's image. Yeah, so the short answer here is soul and spirit. Uh, sometimes in the Bible, use the same word pneuma. Uh, could be interchangeable. Sometimes it's separated. But the better uh, explanation is the one I offered yesterday. Let me see if we got another question here. There. Okay. Oh, this one's from Elise. Although it's hard to know for this for sure, but seeing Moses, Jesus, and possibly Joseph and Paul, that they were in their 30s when they stepped into ministry. Do you think that in heaven our glorified bodies will also be in the 30s? Or is this wishful thinking on my part? <laughs> oh, what a great question. You know, this is one of the things, one of the questions that our, our Bible doesn't give us explicit answers to. So that's the short answer. We don't know. What we do know is this, and I always think about this in Mark chapter 9. When Jesus appears in that Mount of Transfiguration, right? And Peter sees uh, Moses and Elijah there. I always think about this. How did he know who they were? I mean, they didn't have name tags. Uh, 
but they were obviously recognizable. And, and it wasn't like today where he can pull out his phone and, and, and kind of Google them and see what they look like. They didn't have any of that. They definitely didn't have photographs, but he knew. But he knew. And, and in some form or fashion, he knew who they were, and they were immediately recognizable. Now, at what age they were, we don't know. What their bodies look like, we don't know. But when you ask, do I think in heaven our glorified bodies will be in our 30s? Now, this is just speculation on my part because, again, the Bible does not give us explicit answers. But whatever age we will be, it will be the perfect age. It'll be the perfect age. And because we'll have the glorified bodies, it won't uh, be a body that'll get old, that will get sick. It won't be a body that'll get tired, that is subject to disease. Uh, It'll be our glorified body in heaven. And so if that perfect age is in the 30s, I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, What it looks like, what will be, we really don't know. But it's a great thing to think about. Because, again, when I think about how Peter was able to recognize them, the one stunning characteristic that he spoke of was, number one, he knew who they were. But number two, uh, the glory that emanated from Jesus. I mean, his, that's when his glory was manifested. And there, uh, the two that were with him were both recognizable, but also shining the, the glory that came from Jesus. I just love that picture. No sign of any sickness or disease in those bodies. So I can't wait for that, at least. I apologize that since the Bible isn't very clear, that's the best that I can do. But if that's wishful think- thinking, then yes, I'll take that also. <laughs> so thanks for the question. Two one zero three four zero ninety five eighty five. We still got quite a bit of time on the show for you to call. Just to, oh, five minutes, so not too much time. But if you want to call, go ahead. Oh, here's a good question from Jamie. Can you please explain when it means in the Bible? when it says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Okay, Jamie, so this question from Matthew chapter 5, let me read what it says here. And if your right, Jesus speaking, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So this is what we call or what's known as the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. And this verse that you are referring to is within the Sermon of the Mount. And and the context here is Jesus describing the righteousness that God requires for entrance into heaven apart from him, apart from him. That's the key. What he's saying to the religious people is this. If you want to earn your way into heaven... Well, your righteousness has got to exceed that of the religious leaders that you see. That's not the example, and that's not the standard. What he's saying is you've got to go way beyond that, and here's what it looks like. And so in this pass, or this verse, in verse 30, where he's talking about your right hand causing you to sin and cut it off, he's not talking about physical dismemberment. That's the first thing we're going to talk about because uh, that's not God's heart. One thing we know is that physical harm, causing physical harm to yourself, is never from the Lord. It's never God's will. And that, that's, that's demonic. So what does it mean then? Well, it means this, that we need to deal forcefully with our sin by dying to our flesh. This is for, for the Christian. The application is this. We have to hate our sin so much that we're willing to do whatever it takes so that we can get closer to Jesus because our sin separates us from him. This reminds me of a quick story. You know, when I was a really new believer, I worked at a job where um, we would sit in like a warehouse, almost seemed like a a sweatshop for, for draftsmen, but we were, we were drafting, uh, we had big tables and we would be working and then we would have breaks and everybody would take a break at the same time. So we'd go outside and 
and, and take a break in the back for, for 10, 15 minutes. Well, I remember as a, a new Christian, I found a group of believers there, and we would have a Bible study every um, Wednesday, I think it was, Wednesday during lunch out in the parking lot. And, and I loved it. It was great. I got to talk about Jesus and read the Bible with, with people at work. And so I would go to that Bible study on Wednesdays. But then one day, that was not a Wednesday, during one of the breaks, it was like a 10-minute break, went out to the back. At the time, as a new believer, one of the things that I really struggled with was, for me, smoking cigarettes, I knew it was something that the Lord wanted me to stop doing. Anyways, somebody came up to me and said, hey, aren't you one of the guys that, that do that Bible study when I was out there on a smoke break? And the Lord spoke to me so clearly, you need to stop. You don't hate the sin that, that much. And that, that moment I knew, well, I need to hate this. And I don't hate it. I like my sin. I know the Lord told me to stop. And I wouldn't stop. But at that point I stopped. Why? Because I had to cut, off, cut it off. My right hand was causing me to sin. I didn't want to cut it off. Jesus said, deal forcefully with it. And I did. Jamie, I hope that helps. Well, you can hear the music. That means we are at the end of our Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. I'll be filling in for Pastor Ron the rest of the week. Um, See you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.